we are, uh, we are constantly trying to work up different material. Uh, we have put some stuff together for a book on marriage, a study from the book of Proverbs. Uh, we have begun some studying in the Song of Solomon. Uh, just our personal study time together that I want to share some stuff with you this morning. We have not developed it well enough to uh, co-teach it and co-this and that. It's not our, our marriage workshop and our family workshop that we do. We've done so many times. We know when each other's supposed to talk and when somebody's left something out. Uh, but this, this morning is a bunch of new stuff we're working on. And hopefully we'll have it really developed maybe next year. Uh, where we can share it, team teach it together. But Lee asked, she said, can I just let you do this this morning? And I said, that is fine. We have a lot of differences, my wife and I do, and we've told some of you about this uh, when it comes to being different. Uh, I'm a morning person, love the mornings. Uh, She is not a morning person. In fact, sometimes it's 10 a.m. before she decides she's going to be a Christian for the day. That's always our joke, right? Um, I like coffee in the mornings because I enjoy drinking coffee. She drinks coffee for the protection of other people. And so uh, that's just the difference between us. I am an extrovert. And I love being up here in front of you people. uh, And being a part of visiting, talking, hugging. That's fun to me. Lee is an introvert. And she still hadn't figured out how I've talked her into even taking part in this kind of stuff. Um, and, and we're just two different type people. And it's okay. We've learned to, to bond a marriage with two different type of people. And it's a, it's a good marriage. And, and so uh, when she said, hey, can I let you handle class since this is kind of new material? I said, I'd be happy to do that. So I'm going to do that. She's in here uh, this morning. Uh, But we're going to talk a little bit about the Song of Solomon and how God designed intimacy. And it's not just sexual intimacy. uh, It is spiritual intimacy, something that a lot of marriages miss. Uh, It is emotional intimacy. Again, something that a lot of marriages miss. And so we'll talk about a few of those things. There are some, a lot of people have asked, where are we coming up? You can find us online. You can Google us. You can find us. You can read where our workshops. This is just about a year out. We're, We're booked up about a year and a half out. Um, but this is some areas where we're going to be. If we're going to be somewhere close, if you want to email us, uh, holler at us, and we'll come your direction. Most of these, about two-thirds of these are our marriage workshop, and about a third of these are our family workshop, kind of a follow-up workshop to that is kind of what we're doing. Um, We're going to talk about kind of some essential maintenance. You want a good family? got to have a good marriage, and, and that's really the way it works. Now, if you're in here and you're going, I'm a single mama, uh, I'm a single parent, let me just tell you, you are awesome. We love you. We're not here to beat you up. We are not here to say, hey, you messed up. Uh, we are here to say that uh, you are our hero, that uh, you do double duty as a single parent, and uh, we love that. But I wanted to talk today to those folks who are married, whether you're grandparents or parents, and talk a little bit about the strong marriages make strong families And we'll look at that from that standpoint. So, if you are in the Song of Solomon, let's talk a little bit about that. And let's kind of go from there. God intended, God fully intended for us to get to know each other in many ways in marriage. Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. Now, we think of the book of the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs as just a book that's, hey, this is all about sex. And and it is. It really is. It is about sexual intimacy between married people 
God's not embarrassed about it. Sometimes people read this book for the first time and they go, does, does God know they've put this in his Bible? You know, and we're like, yes, God is pro-sex. He created it. Uh, he is good with it. As we talked on Sunday, he built it as something wonderful, a gift for married people. We're the ones that kind of mess it up in our world today. And it's a subject that needs to be talked about just in general because the world talks about it. Uh, boy, your kids hear about it every day. It's on every song. It's on every TV show, every movie, and the books that you read. And so we as parents, we as churches need to discuss how God designed marriage and created for it to flow. And so we want to talk about those things. We don't want to avoid them. I don't want to, I don't want to ignore tough subjects. I want to be able to be comfortable enough to go, hey, we're going to talk about some stuff that may make you uncomfortable. But I want you to notice, God intended for us to connect. This was God's design for relationships. This is pre-marriage. He designed for people to get to know each other mentally. That's through communication and talking. I want to know what they're like. I want to know if our, our, our likes are alike and our dislikes are alike. He intended for us to get to know each other physically, meaning am I attracted to this person? Do I like to hold her hand? Um, He intended for us to get to know each other emotionally. Does he treat me well? Does she treat me nice? And then spiritually as well in there. And lastly, the way God designed everything was that we are to get to know each other sexually. That's the way relationships were designed to be. Now, the interesting thing is, we get all that mixed up. Think about this for a second. Junior high, high school kids that start liking a boy in two weeks after start becoming sexually active because they get all of those things in yellow out of order. And they they know each other sexually before they know each other spiritually and emotionally and and even physically very well. And did you know, because as we talked about on Sunday, that sexual connection that is so strong, two shall become one flesh as we talked about, that it's not just a, a little thing, that's a huge thing, that they tell us, psychologists are telling us today that kids, young people who get these things mixed up and become sexually active and then two weeks later break up, they go through the same stress levels that married couples go through when they're going through a divorce. Can you imagine a, a 16, 17, 14, 21-year-old kid having the same kind of stress breaking up that a, a married couple does going through a divorce? That's because they get all these things backwards. God intended, said, get to know each other in the correct direction. And as we look at this, you're going to see that even in the book of the Song of Songs, uh, he kind of does that and shows you, hey, it is about a, an emotional attachment and a spiritual attachment before the sexual attachment comes. So if you're in verse 2, we're going to, I'm going to put verses on the board and then a few texts, uh, a few comments about them. This is about a man and a woman. And every now and then, a few of her girlfriends will make a comment. Which just automatically tells you guys, if you're going to get married, you can expect a few girls of your wife, friends. They're they're just going to be a part of your life. You just accept that, right? Uh, I think that's pretty good. But she starts talking first. The she in your text means in verse 2, she is talking first. She says, "Let let him kiss me with kisses of the mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. 
Now, right off the bat, I want you to catch that she pursues him as much as he pursues her. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Meaning, if you find a godly, if we've got some single college age, whoever you are, if we've got some single girls in here and you find a godly young man, pursue him. She pursued him in the text. She said, your name, your name is like poured out perfume, meaning you have a name that is respected. You have a reputation for being a good man, for being a man of morals and a man of integrity. Your name is like, like perfume that has been poured out, and that's good stuff. He says, I like the fact that I like you first from the fact that you're a good person. I watched a couple in Red Lobster a while back. We were in there for a birthday party. Uh, my kids always get to pick where they want to go eat. And I had a son on his birthday said, we're going to Red Lobster. And I thought, I hope I have enough money. Um, and I did. And we go eat at Red Lobster. Everybody's in there. But when I sat down, I noticed an older couple, probably 70s, maybe early 80s, that sat on the same side of the table as one another in Red Lobster. And I was amazed because they flirted with each other. They held hands. He put, his, he put her napkin in her lap for her. They touched each other constantly. They laughed together. They had the best time. I looked at that couple and said, I want to be them when I'm in my 70s or 80s. That was love. It oozed. It oozed off of them. You, you had no doubt that they loved each other just from the way that they looked at each other and the way they laughed with each other and the way they held hands waiting for their food and everything else. And as they got ready to leave, I had to say something because I had watched and watched. You know, I'd even hit Lee with my elbow and said, look at them. Aren't they the cutest thing ever? And I said, I love. I told them, I said, I love the way you guys publicly love each other. There is no doubt that y'all are in love. Wouldn't it be neat to be married 40, 50 years, however many years God gives you, and people look at it and go, it's not just about how long they've been married. You can tell they love each other by the way they look at each other, the way they hold hands, the way they touch each other. That's healthy. That's a good thing. Lee and I had... Uh, had a lady, we went to eat at the Cheesecake Factory. That's one of her favorite places. And we went to eat the Cheesecake Factory the other night. And we had to stand in line. It was about a 20-minute late wait. And so we kind of snuggled up in a corner. We were off in California on a speaking engagement. And we snuggled off in a corner and were a little bit affectionate and held hands and talked and everything else. And when our number was finally called, I went up to turn my little thing in to go to our table. The lady said, are you guys, are y'all like newly married? Are y'all newlyweds? And I said, 29 years newlyweds. And I thought, hey, we did something right because somebody noticed that we love each other. You know, I like marriage. I really, really do. And I like being married. I'm not a perfect husband. She will tell you she's not a perfect wife. I think she's pretty perfect. But I really believe as you look at what God teaches us in the book of Song of Songs, God ordained romance, love, emotional and spiritual and, and physical intimacy. 
all of those things. I like being married. I'm not afraid to, to mention that. I am affectionate. I'm romantic. I like sending love letters or love texts. That's just me. I'm not going to shy away from that. I like to hang out with my wife. I don't like to be gone from my wife. When I go on mission trips and she can't go with me for a week, I spend a ton of money on phone calls because I refuse to go a day without being able to talk to her. And I'm not going to be embarrassed or ashamed of that because God created companionship. He created intimacy. And people out there will say, hey, don't get married. It's just downhill from there. And there are some people that don't do marriage right, and it does take two. But when it's done right, it is so good. But notice what attracts her to this man. It is first and foremost the fact that he's got a good name. It is a blessing to marry this man. And she says, right there in verse 3, she says, you love, you love her so well... You love me so well that the other women are jealous. How awesome is that? Men, how how awesome is it that you you treat your wife so well that you don't make your wife jealous of other women. Other women are jealous of how well you treat your wife. That's what marriage is supposed to be like. Treat her well. Verse 4. Take me away with you. Let's hurry. She's talking about she's talking about into the bedroom, into the chambers, into the king's chambers. Keep going. And her friends say, her friends look at the relationship and say, if I can paraphrase, y'all are the cutest couple ever. Y'all are made for one another. And I can tell that he loves you for how well you treat each other. Isn't it? Amazing how well marriage works when you both think you got the better end of the deal. In verse 5 and verse 6, I want you to notice this about her. She's still talking. He hasn't said a word yet. Um, she says, uh, dark I am. I want you to notice something. A woman's skin during this time was a trait of beauty. And if you had very fair, fair skin, if you didn't have to work, if you were wealthy and, and if you were prim and proper and did not have to get outside and did not have to get work and your skin was not wrinkled and it wasn't tanned and it was white and it was pale, you were considered, you're prestigious. You are special because you do not have to work. She says, I'm not one of those kind of women. She said, I am dark. Do not stare at me because I am dark. I am darkened by the sun. She says, I've had to work. I've had to serve. I've had to work in the vineyards. She's a servant. She worked outside her home. Whether she wanted to or not, she did it. She was willing to do it. Rachel in the Bible was a shepherdess and Rebecca was a woman who, who uh, watered her family's animals and Moses' wife was a shepherdess and the proverb, the woman in Proverbs 31 that everybody kind of holds up to hear was a woman who served and worked and you could tell that she loved God by the way that she served other people and worked whether it was in the home or outside the home. In verse 7, she says, tell me where you're going to be. 
where are you going to be grazing your flocks and the rest of your sheep? Because I would like to bump into you. I'd like to us just find you. I just need to be around you. I need to see you. I need to know where you are. She says, I want it. I'm willing to chase you. Is it okay for a godly woman to chase a godly man? Yeah, I think so. It happened about 29 years ago. Well, actually, a lot. we dated for about four years before that happened. Uh, I remember a young brown-eyed, brown-haired girl that came up to me while we were youth group at the church in Amarillo, Texas that told me, said, hey, there's this guy that I don't like that is wanting me to be his boyfriend. Will you pretend to be my boyfriend so that he'll leave me alone? I need you to sit by me in church and we'll kind of hang out and we'll just kind of pretend. Boy, she was good, wasn't she? <laughs> that night we left church. I was driving at the time and I had an old pickup truck that didn't have a center console and she was scooted really close over to me and I was thinking, I kind of like this girl, you know? My mom asked me later that night, said, Looked like there was somebody in your pickup with you. Who was that? Scooted I said, that was that Lee Keeney girl. We're pretending to be dating. She said, well, y'all look like you know what you're doing, you know. <laughs> 29 years later, four kids later, I, I hope we're still not pretending. That's all I can say. She says, let me chase you. Let's meet up. But I want you to notice the second part of that verse. She says... I'm not going to be like the veiled women beside the flocks of your friends. Those were the prostitutes. They would come out and they would hang out. If they could find a shepherd or, or some men that were working sheep and, and working flocks, they would cover themselves and go hang out and hope the men would notice them and pay them for, for intimacy. And she said, I'm not going to be like them. I am not one of those type of girls. I have morals. I will not do that sort of thing. But I will. I will find you and we can meet up. We can visit. But I will lot lower myself. I will not stoop to doing that. I will not be like that. And I love the fact that she says, I will not get to that point. So here's Solomon. Here's the man in the story. And he says, this is a godly woman. And that's what I want. Here's a spiritual woman, and that's what I want. One with values, one who loves spiritual intimacy. So let me ask you a little bit, a couple of things about spiritual intimacy. Let's look for a few seconds about this. How often do you work at being spiritually intimate as a husband and a wife? Do you pray together? Because that's something you should do on a regular basis. You should be praying with your spouse. Whether that's before they leave for work, whether that's oftentimes like us when just before bed, uh, as we're climbing into bed, whether that's when something happens and we say, hey, let's take a second and pray about this. There is power and in intimacy in a couple that pray together. And if you're not praying together, I challenge you to step up and do that. And I will tell you, there may be more intimacy in praying together as a couple, more oneness, than there is in sexual intimacy. Because if you have ever prayed with your wife, and she allows you to see the secret places of her heart that generally she only reserves for God to see, you're seeing things and being allowed into a place 
that is so intimate. Do you worship together? One of my favorite times of the week is Sunday. Sundays can be be painful sometimes because sometimes I'm running around crazy making sure everybody knows what they're doing on Sunday morning for worship and everything else. But man, when the singing finally starts and I can lean over and sit next to my wife and we can praise God together and hold hands during prayer time and take communion together, there is power in a couple that spiritually does that. How about reading the Bible together? Just you don't even, you can read it out loud if you want, but just take time and say, "Hey, let's read Proverbs this month." And I'll read mine, you read yours, and we'll talk about it later from chapter one. And then tomorrow we'll read chapter two, and then chapter three. We've always said, and we've always heard it said, that God's at the top of the triangle, and you're in the bottom corners. And if you'll work on building a closer relationship with God, you'll find that you're getting closer and closer as a husband and a wife in spiritual intimacy. So the inside is what really matters. That's what's beautiful. Proverbs 31, the end of the text of the woman, uh, of uh, the amazing woman there, it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she's the one that needs to be praised. That's good stuff. Spiritual intimacy. Solomon says it starts right there. You know what you don't want to do? Don't take this wrong. You don't want to marry for just looks. I had a guy one time told me, he said, hey, be coming in for counseling, he said, man, I just wanted a trophy wife. I said, you messed up. I said, you got to fall in love for something other than just what she looks like. A trophy wife's all right, but a trophy marriage is what you really want. That's what really matters, a trophy family. Don't just marry for looks. Because, think about this for a second, and again, don't take this wrong. Your wedding day, your wedding day is probably the prettiest you will ever see your wife. It's the pinnacle of beauty. Think about it, all right? She has worked for months to get in shape to fit beautifully inside that wedding dress. She is 10. The wedding's at 7 o'clock at night. She started getting ready at 9 a.m. that morning. She is perfect when she comes down that aisle. Enjoy it. That's the pinnacle. That's the top. She's going to be as beautiful as you have ever seen her right there. Pretty incredible. What you need to do if you're going to marry for looks, make sure she or he looks like Jesus because your bodies go downhill. And if you're marrying for just physical attraction, you're in trouble. Make sure it's a spiritual attraction. Be spiritually intimate. Grow together spiritually. Pray together. Find time to do that. Spiritual intimacy. Now, that's not all of it because of the Song of Solomon. The Song of Songs also says, hey, there's something called emotional, emotional intimacy as well. And this, is, this isn't just physical, this is emotional. This is how I treat you. And this is, notice right off, right off the bat, we're not even physical yet. Verse 9 in the text, if you've got your Bibles. Notice, he finally speaks. Notice what he calls her. I love it. He says, my darling, 
my darling. Nine times in the book of the Song of Songs, he calls his bride darling. Now that word in the original language is the word my most intimate friend. There is nobody that I am closer with than you. Notice that his words are kind. His words are gentle. You get to the next part of verse 9 and notice what he says. Now, these were different times. He actually says, hey, my darling, you are like a mare amongst Pharaoh's chariots, horses. Now, guys, I'm telling you, that may, you may not be one to call your wife a horse today because she may not take that well. But he says it in full, complete seriousness because we're not just talking any horse. We're talking Pharaoh's number one beautiful stallion. It is the horse of all horses. And he says to her, you're like that. There is no other. There is nobody that compares to you. Everyone else pales in comparison. There's no greater horse. And he'll continue to notice. I like what he says. He says, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck, strings of jewels. He just goes down and talks about her body for a while. He notices the small details that matter. He'll talk about her hair. I love your hair. Your eyes. He'll say, I love your eyes. He'll say, I love your teeth. That's not something we compliment very often unless we look at our spouse and go, I'm glad you brushed your teeth today. Or maybe in some states, I'm glad you have all your teeth today, right? Notice, men, that he is paying attention to all the small details. Nothing physical is happening. He has built and is continuing to build her up emotional, emotionally. True love loves the person for who they are, not what you can get. He is tender. He is tender with touch. He says, darling, he calls, he says, we use the word sweetheart. How much easier is it to, to hey, sweetheart, would you, would you grab this for me? Sweetheart is a beautiful word to call your spouse. She knows she's loved by the things he says. I did a funeral. I did a funeral a while back for a lady named Claudia. Her husband has pa- had passed. I did not know him real well. Didn't know her really, really well. She's kind of a quiet, uh, behind-the-scenes, unassuming woman. And Claudia asked me to do her husband Pete's funeral. And I said, I'd be happy to. And so I sat down and I visited with Claudia. And she gave me details about their marriage and about their life and about everything else. And so that day at the funeral home, at the little uh, chapel, I did her service, his service. When it was over, somehow or another, they, she's got a daughter, but her daughter was already headed out to the car. Somehow or another, Claudia and I wound up standing in front of her husband's coffin together. She was there by herself, and I thought, I don't want her standing by herself. So I scooted over next to her, and she put her arm under my arm and placed it right here. Claudia's in her, probably in her 70s. And she looked at me, and she looked at Pete in the casket, and she said, Trey, I know I told you that we were married for 55 years. 
But she said, I want you to know they were not just normal 55 years. She said they were really, really good 55 years. She said, did you know that all of our years of marriage, once a month, including last month, Pete still brought me flowers. And did you know that every morning when I got up, he would kiss me on the cheek and say, good morning, sweetheart. And every night he would hug my neck and tell me how beautiful I am. For 55 years, my husband did this, she said. She said, he called me Hazel. It was a nickname. And I said, why Hazel? She said, my eyes are Hazel. And that was his sweet pet name for me. I felt like I was getting to listen in on a very holy moment as I stood there. Just me and her and Pete in the whole chapel by ourselves. And it was at that moment that she turned from talking to me. And she leaned over and she talked to Pete. And she kissed him on the forehead and she said, Pete, thank you for being so good to me for all these years. I have been more than blessed. She said, I will see you soon. And she leaned over and she grabbed my hand and she said, okay, I'm ready. And I walked Miss Claudia out to the limousine where she would ride and we would go to the cemetery together where I would say just a few more words before they would put Pete in the ground and she would go home that night after 55 years of marriage by herself and while I was trying to get my thoughts for just a moment about what I was going to say at the cemetery just to remember my thoughts I couldn't even concentrate all I could think over and over and over was Lord Please raise up more husbands like Pete. Men who will for 50 whatever years bring their wives flowers. And call them sweetheart every day. And kiss them every night and tell them that they are beautiful. You see, Claudia understood a little bit about what emotional intimacy was. It was tenderness. It was kindness. It was not ever being harsh. It was never calling a name. And notice as we go on, all the intimacy, he's tender, he's kind, he's gentle. She says, verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. The way they talk, notice my beloved, he calls, she calls him. You treat me so good, you call me sweetheart, you call me darling. I have no response to that other than, first, I want to give myself to you physically. You're so good to me. But she says, you're my beloved. You're my sweetheart. You are my darling. Because you treat me in such a way. Notice, she doesn't call him Claude. She doesn't call him, well, my dummy husband. She is emotionally kind to him. Your spouse is not to be the butt of your jokes. They are not to be who you cut down in public going, one of these days he'll catch on. 
Husbands, treat your wife like the daughter of a king. Because that is what she is. If you married a Christian woman, you married a daughter of the king. And you know, when Lee and I married at a very, very young age, we started talking to marriage when she was 17 years old. And it really wasn't a big deal because we'd been talking about marriage before that. Back in the 80s, you could do those things. Now, some of you in here, uh, y'all were way before the 80s, and y'all got married a lot earlier than we did. And, and, and today, my kids were going, y'all got married how young, you know? When we were 17, and I said, hey, let's get married next year. You get out of high school, we'll go to school together. She said, all right, let's do it. I thought, boy, I got a great plan. Then she threw a huge kink in the plans when she said the scariest words I'd ever heard. She said, are you going to ask my dad? And I was like, no, I'm not going to ask that guy. He's huge, and he's scary, and he's big, and and you're 17, you know. (laughs) We nearly called the whole thing off, debating who was going to tell him, you know. That was a good, healthy, respectful fear. I'm telling you what, your heavenly father-in-law, men, is a lot scarier than any earthly father-in-law you've ever had. And if you married a Christian girl, you married a daughter of the king, and I want you to know I believe God's going to hold some men responsible for someday for not treating his daughter with kindness and tenderness and love and respect. Because Solomon teaches us that's the way it's supposed to be. Don't cut them down in public. I, had a, I, had, I knew a guy one time. That was his thing. He just loved making his wife the butt of his jokes. And that bothered me. That always bothered me. I didn't even like to run around with him. And it really bothered me to run around with him when she was with us because he'd do it right in front of her. Talk about her bad cooking and then laugh, you know. One day I finally said, hey, hey, I, man, you cannot keep doing this. This is, this is not good for your marriage. It's not good for her. You're not treating her kind. It is not emotionally healthy for her. I, I said, I'll just tell you what's going to happen. First, she'll never be the wife you want her to be. And, and number two, there'll probably come a time in her world somewhere down the line where she's going to go, why am I with this guy? His response and the best thing she's got going. Year and a half later, guess who comes strolling into my office? Guess why he's there? She's left. How do I get her back? Guess what I told him in a very nice way? I told you this was going to happen. You just can't treat your wife this way. Wives, treat your husbands with love and kindness and tenderness and respect because that's what God has told us to do. You got spiritual intimacy, you got emotional intimacy, and then, and then finally, they're going to start talking some, some physical intimacy. Notice him right off the bat. He says, he says, how beautiful you are. He calls her again, my darling. He doesn't call her woman. He doesn't even call her wife. My darling. Talk about a term of endearment. How beautiful your eyes. She turns right around and says, And how handsome you are, my beloved. How charming. They are one another's standard of beauty. You know, does that make sense what they are to each other? They physically they can't get enough of each other. They, they, they just are 
Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19, they just are intoxicated with one another. And, and we look at newlyweds sometimes, and we go to those newlyweds, and we go, y'all, just, y'all are so ooey and gooey, and, and here's Solomon, and here's God going, you, you know, there's no reason after 29 years you're still not that way, and after 50 years you're still not that way. Your spouse should be your standard of beauty. Meaning, he says, you you are my darling. You are so beautiful. And she said, you are so handsome. There's there's nobody in there. there, He he doesn't go, out of all the five girls that I know, you're the prettiest of those five. He didn't say that. You know, I think God created marriage for you to be head over heels in love with your spouse to the point that whoever your spouse is, they're the ones that rock your world. They are, they are your standard of, of beauty. Think about it. From the beginning, Adam and Eve. He created Adam. He created Eve. He brought Eve to Adam, and he said, hey, here's your wife. Man, Adam was excited about that, wasn't he? I mean, he had gone to sleep naming animals and seen last thing he saw was a big brown cow and he wakes up and here's Eve. And, it, and, uh, yeah, and the Bible actually says, there was Eve, as in to say, he woke up and said, whoa, where did she come from? And I don't know what, how God made dimensions of women. I don't know what God would have made Eve look like, but I can guarantee you, if you compare it to the brown cow he'd just seen, she's looking mighty good, I promise and Adam doesn't look over and go, you know, I've seen a lot of women, and you're pretty good looking. He goes, you're the best looking thing I have ever laid eyes on. And she thinks to herself, I've never seen a more handsome man. Did, did, did Eve really believe Adam was the most handsome man in the world? Yes, because he was the only man in the world. And she, he didn't sit back going, man, there's so many girls I can marry here. No, he was like, I, she's the only one I want. God created marriage that way. When you, find, when you choose your love, I chose my love on August the 12th, 1988. When you choose your love, love your choice every day. Love it. It's good stuff. I don't ever sit back and go, you know, did you see that one movie? Man, that girl is a fine, fine. I, I, I would never, ever say that. Because the, the only fine, fine girl, that's an 80s word, by the way. The only fine girl in my world is a brown-haired, brown-eyed girl that I am, I think is the most beautiful girl in the world. So if you married a man, if you married a man whose hair is turning gray or turning loose, that's what you like. Because they are your standard of beauty. And and if you married a woman who you don't know what color hair she has because every time she goes to beauty shop, it comes back a different color, it don't matter, that's your favorite color. And when she comes back, you tell her, you look amazing. Even if it's purple, I don't know. They are your standard of beauty. Because that's how God created it to be. Verse 12 and 13. One sec. Let me see if I can find it here. Oh, here it is. Let's keep going. 
Ladies, so let me ask you this. This is a good time to stop for a second. How would you feel about yourself if your husband was spiritually and emotionally intimate with you? If he constantly called you sweetheart and darling like it was your name? How would it make you feel about yourself? Would you just not feel like a queen? And, and husbands, your wife, and wives, you can apply this to your husband. Your wife, your spouse will get self-esteem from somewhere. And if it's not from you, it's going to be from what she does at work or from raising kids or from her girlfriends or if it's your husband, his buddies, uh, from what he owns, from his toys he has. So why not let that emotional self-esteem come from you? How does she feel about all this? I mean, he just keeps praising her and praising her. You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. She says, I am a rose. I like that. She doesn't say, remind me again. She doesn't go, well, I wish I was pretty. She says, I'm a rose. She believes what he's telling her. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. He continually builds her up, and she believes it. If you make your job to be the emotional self-esteem, the person who gives your spouse emotional intimacy. If you tell them that she is her, she is gorgeous or he is handsome, don't take pop shots about your spouse's body or their looks. If you talk about your wife's weight or your wife's this or your wife's that, and then you wonder why your wife is ashamed of her body. You know, the one of them in the Song of Solomon, you, you have no... You never get any doubt that this woman is not ashamed of how she looks. She, she says, now I'm really tan. But he goes, man, you look good. And she goes, thank you. And, and honestly, she says, I'll show you how good I look. Because he has built her up emotionally. Over He makes her feel great about her body. Whether she was... 18 or 28 or 58 or 78. He says, after she says, I'm a rose, he says, ah, you're a lily among thorns. There, there's, there's no, you're the only flower out there. Everybody else compared to you is a thorn. No one compares to you. That is exactly what he says. You are the queen. Look in verse 3, that's chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Notice in your text, he says, she says, I delight to sit in his shade. I love that. 
I want to sit in his shade, meaning I want, I want to be with him at all times. I want his protection. I want him to be the one that emotionally uh, gives me what I need, who, who spiritually gives me what I need, that, that I'm spiritually intimate with, physically intimate with. I want to be in his shade. I want his protection. I want his body. He makes me feel good about myself and it makes me want to spend more time with him. I don't want Lee looking to be to, to looking for shade anywhere other than me. She feels the same way. And ladies, your husband needs to know he is handsome. He is strong, he is amazing. And I've heard men and women say, "Well, he should know that." They should just know that. She should know she's a good mom. She should know she's beautiful. Look at her. She's pretty. I said, don't tell me. Tell her. She's the one that needs to hear it regularly. Your spouse needs to hear it. So that when they hear it elsewhere, it's really not any big deal. When some woman comes up and tells me, I think you're pretty handsome. Or I think you're funny. Or I think you're a good dad. Or I think you look nice in that shirt. You know what my natural response is? I hear that from my wife all the time. So yeah, I believe it. Because my wife already builds me up that way. You be kind and you be tender. And you teach your children to be the same. Husbands, you, you treat her like a queen and you refuse to let anybody, don't you let anybody not treat her like the queen. You know, growing up, my dad was a very quiet, little unassuming guy in a sense that when he spoke, listened because he didn't talk all the time. But I'll tell you, you, you knew you were in trouble if he ever, ever caught you mouthing off to mom. If you ever were disrespectful and rude to, it was to mom, but it was his wife. Boy, you knew you messed up. I don't know how many times we heard, you don't be disrespectful to your mother. And when he said it, he said it in a way that meant business. It wasn't jokingly. He said, don't mess with the queen. And we believed him. And that's how we were raised. I've tried really hard to raise my boys in the same way. You need to try to raise your kids in the same way. I, you know, when they were little, I used to say, hey, hey, I brought you into this world. I can snuff you out and make another one just like you. You treat the queen right. I've raised four boys that love their mama. Nothing makes me more happy other than the fact that they love their God. They open the door for her. They carry bags for her. They serve her. They go out of the way to tell her constantly, you're an amazing cook. You do this. You do that. Don't you ever allow your kids to talk back to the queen. Solomon wouldn't have had it. And if they're all bigger than you are, you better get a stick. Big stick if you need one. Don't, don't let them talk back to, to the queen. My kids, can they, can they can mouth off against the government and against school and against church, whatever they want to, but don't mouth off against the queen. That's not going to work. First Peter chapter 3. We missed that text a while ago, but I had it in there. We're talking tender. We're talking emotional. 1 Peter chapter 3, P 
Peter writes and he says, Men, husbands, treat your wife with gentleness. Or the King James Version says, Like a weaker vessel. Like a, a china plate. Something that could break real easy. You treat her tenderly. That's what he's talking about. The same kind of stuff he's talking about in the Song of Song. And, and Peter goes, And if you don't, God's not going to listen to a word you say when you pray to him. As if to say, your heavenly father-in-law is watching you. Take care of the queen. Verse 4. Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. You know what she says? He, he loves me not only in private, but also publicly. His banner over me is love, meaning everywhere we go, he shows that he loves me. He holds my hand in public. He's not afraid to, to hold my hand in front of people. I like to hold my... My wife likes me to hold her hand on Sundays during prayer time. I like that. That's all right. She also likes me to hold her hand in public. I asked her about that one time. Why do you like to hold hands in public when we're at the mall? Now, I like to hold hands at the mall because I know what's getting spent, right? You know, it kind of works that way. People say it's romantic. It's kind of economic at the same time. Why do you like to hold hands in public? She says, because it makes me know that you're proud of me. And that's true. She says to Solomon, you're proud of me. I can tell your banner over me is love. You've got this huge banner over my life, over me, going, I am not ashamed of this woman. She is my wife. Husbands, don't walk ten steps in front of your wife everywhere you go. It's easy to do. Sometimes our wives are a little slow, and sometimes I want to get out of the car and get where I'm going. But I've caught myself a lot of times. I'll look around, and my wife will be 10 steps behind me. And I have worked over the last few years to go. I refuse to be one of those husbands that walks 10, 10 steps in front of his wife everywhere they're going. No, I'm going to hold hands with the queen, and I'm going to open the door for her. And I'm going to walk by her side, not 10 steps in front of her. I don't know why we do it. We just do sometimes. But may your banner, may our banner over our wives show off in such a way that we're proud to say, here you go. You know, uh, speaking of uh, teaching your children to respect the queen, their mama. A few years ago, me and Lee and our oldest son Taylor were at a place and he was trying to catch a flight and I'm the worrier that looks at the watch and goes, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Mama's the one that goes, we got five more minutes, we got five more minutes. And I had, I really was worried about catching this flight. And I'd had five more minutes for the last time. And I got a little sharp and I took a little tone with the queen. And a young man stood up and said, don't talk to her like that. And I'd never seen him buck up to his dad before. And I'm not sure I could have been more proud at that moment for him to say, hey, calm down. It's going to be okay. This is mom you're talking to. Talk to her nice. Our banner over our spouse should be love at all times.
be proud to show your wife off. When this happens, look what happens. We're almost out of time. So notice she says, strengthen me with raisins. Uh, I looked up this raisins, and actually your Bible will probably say raisin cakes. Uh, it was an aphrodisiac at the time, thought to be, um, thought to be a, 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 is it green eminium? There you go. Thought to be a green eminium or something along the line. And she's going, hey, you just bring me all these things that are going to turn me on because I am already turned on just to listen to the way you talk about me. Oh, and there's our horn. Husbands, the most sensual organ on a woman's body. You ready for this? The most sensual organ on a woman's body is her mind. And when you treat her with kindness and tenderness and you serve her, it's a turn on. And when you leave in the mornings and you don't take care of the trash and you leave the car on empty and you don't check in all day long and you don't send a text that says, I miss you, and you get home and you greet the dog before you greet her and you ask, what's for supper instead of what can I do to help you with supper? And when you crash in the chair and you don't help with the dishes or ask, can I help you with the dishes? And then you wonder at bedtime why she's not in the mood. Verse 6, and we're done. Actually, I don't have it on there. But yeah, verse 6. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. She's talking a sexual position right here. So does God know they're talking about this stuff? He's okay with it, okay? Three times. Three times in the book of Song of Solomon, she'll go, I'm ready for you to get in this position, where this tender position to put, where you put your arm under my my body and your, your hand behind my head because he is good to her. Husbands, I challenge you to treat your wives tender, gentle, kind. Build one another up. Then when you get out in public and somebody that's not your spouse says something really nice about your spouse, they're going to go, hey, huh. I know that already. My spouse tells me that all the time. Let them be the one. Let you be the one who builds your spouse up. Not somebody else. Satan loves it. When, when they're not getting any kind of emotional intimacy at home. And then they get out in public and they hear, you know, you're a handsome or you're a very pretty woman. And Satan sets the hook. Satan sets the hook. We have had a great time teaching classes. Thank you. We are honored that you have come our way. I want two seconds to say a prayer and ask God to bless our marriages. Father, thank you for marriage. Thank you for relationships. It is the most valuable, other than you, it is the most valuable thing that we have. Our family, our spouse, and our kids. May we never take them for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.